0: Hello, and welcome to Soothing Pod's Sleep Stories. My name is Arif, and today I would like to help you relax and fall asleep guided by my voice, and the story you are about to hear. Tonight, we take a journey into the non-fictional realm, recalling one of history's greatest love stories. Yet, also, one of its most tragic. Tonight, I will tell you the tale of a great Egyptian queen worshiped like a goddess and the man who risked everything to be with her. You have probably heard the story before, how two of the most powerful people in the world chose to love together and eventually died moments apart. Indeed, their story has been told and retold a thousand times. But it is always fascinating to hear again. Before we begin, let's settle into our beds and try to relax, freeing our mind of other busy thoughts of the day. Take a couple of deep breaths. A pause for a few seconds. If you have a lot going on in your head, or feelings on your heart, accept that this is normal. And give yourself permission to simply rest, and enjoy a bedtime story. Tonight, we look back on Cleopatra and Mark Antony, remembering that love is both powerful and poisonous. And yet, those who are seduced by the power of love hardly wish to be released from its spell. The story of Cleopatra and Mark Antony took place around 41 BC, when Cleopatra was supreme ruler of Egypt. The daughter of King Ptolemy Twelfth, Aulets, the Queen Cleopatra would become the last queen of that dynasty. Although we remember her as a queen of Egypt, Cleopatra was in fact, a descendant of Macedonia. She loved To style herself after the goddess Isis. We don't have a very accurate description of her physical beauty, but through coin portraits from that era, we can gather that she had a firm chin, beguiling eyes, a broad forehead, and well-structured nose. The question often on everyone's lips is, was Cleopatra beautiful. The historian Plutarch wrote this, For her beauty, as we are told, was in itself not altogether incomparable, nor such as to strike those who saw her. But converse with her had an irresistible charm, and her presence combined with the persuasiveness of her discourse, and the character which was somehow diffused about her behavior towards others, had something stimulating about it. There was sweetness also in the tones of her voice, and her tongue like an instrument of many strings she could readily turn to whatever language she pleased. So, it seems that it was her practiced charms and regal presence that seduced the many men, and women, who encountered her. Listen again to the description of Cleopatra, particularly this line, "...there was sweetness also in the tones of her voice." and her tongue, like an instrument of many strings, she could readily turn to whatever language she pleased. From this, we can gather that the seductive queen used her voice to attract, and was also multilingual. Apparently, Egyptian was not her mother tongue, but she made an effort to learn it. When her father Ptolemy XII died in 51 BCE, it was her brother who ascended the throne. Cleopatra was then 18 years old, and her brother around 10. And yes, the brother and sister were married to each other. Although, in ancient Egyptian tradition, this would have not raised any eyebrows. It was customary, as was the passing on the power of the kingdom from the father to his children. Being older than her brother, Cleopatra was the dominant ruler. When Cleopatra realized that the only way to sustain her power was to join forces with Rome, she proceeded to seduce Caesar. She needed his support, but first had to convince him to fall in love with her, and then have him under her spell. And so, she proceeded to work her charms, putting on lavish displays for him, and catering to his every need. Perhaps one of the most famous stories told was of their first meeting, Cleopatra sent Caesar a curious gift, an elaborate rug. But when it is rolled out in front of him, what appears in the rug, but the queen herself. After Caesar's assassination, the politician and soldier, Mark Antony, was made leader of the Roman Empire's territories in the East. It was written that Antony, was broad-shouldered, bull-necked, ridiculously handsome, with a thick head of curls and aquiline features. Mark Antony was at first just a staff officer in the service of Julius Caesar in Gaul. His skill and military prowess helped the Roman Empire take control of this province. After his success in Gaul, Antony was appointed tribune, a task that required him to serve the people and represent their interests to Caesar. He was popular, and so a good choice for this position. At the same time, Caesar was being challenged by members of the Roman Senate. But Mark Antony helped him to win public support. Now, Cleopatra could have chosen any other man or any other ruler, but she had to have Mark Antony. Indeed, they had already met 10 years earlier, but then Cleopatra was still a girl and inexperienced, as described by the Greek writer, Plutarch. At that time, she was the young mistress of Caesar, with whom she had borne a son. In 41 BC, Antony was staying in Tarsus, a beautiful city on the coast of Turkey, when he asked Cleopatra to come to him. Cleopatra knew two important things that gave her power, to control this important meeting. One, that Rome had political interest in her riches, and two, that Antony loved spectacles. And so, she put on a splendid show that left him in awe and craving more. This first entrance into Tarsus would be a crucial moment and she had to make it spectacular. In her book, Cleopatra, A Life, the writer Stacy Schiff describes the Queen's memorable entrance. She reclined beneath a gold-spangled canopy, dressed as Venus in a painting, while beautiful young boys, like painted cupids, stood at her sides and fanned her. Her fairest maids were likewise dressed as sea-nymphs and graces, some steering at the rudder, some working at the ropes. Wondrous odors from countless incense offerings diffused themselves along the riverbanks. The pomp and display worked like a charm. Mark Antony from this moment was in love, or was it simply lust at this point? Cleopatra, however, had only just begun her seduction. What followed were parties after parties in honor of Mark Antony and Rome. She enjoyed flaunting her jewels and riches. She drank and feasted with Mark Antony, who tried on his part to compete with her splendor and elegance. He also supposedly threw his own parties to honor her, but they were never quite as fancy as the Queen's. The elegant displays and pageantry had their way with the Queen's object of desire. Although the two rulers were genuinely, physically, and emotionally attracted to each other, their bond also had a political angle. Antony needed Cleopatra's riches to support and fund his military campaigns in the East. Cleopatra needed a stake in his power, his protection, and to secure the position of her son by Caesar. The powerful rulers had a playful relationship, and often behaved like teenagers, even forming a group or society of drinking buddies. Their audiences during the parties in honor of the god Dionysius. And their parties were legendary. One story written by the Roman chronicler Pliny the Elder, recalls the extravagant details. She ordered the second course to be served. In accordance with previous instructions, the servants placed in front of her only a single vessel containing vinegar. She took one earring off, and dropped the pearl, in the vinegar, and when it wasted away, she swallowed it. In this way, Cleopatra wanted to show her goddess like power and excess of riches, and she never failed to remind Mark Antony how she saw him with godlike aura as well. Another story is told that. During a night of entertainment, Mark Antony was having trouble with his fishing rod. The Queen nonchalantly joked, Leave the fishing rod, General, to us. Your prey are cities, kingdoms, and continents. The Roman leader Octavian and his forces were closing in on Alexandria while the lovers continued partying with extravagance and decadence. They even nicknamed their drinking society, Companions to the Death. Although, as we now know from history, this was not named in jest. Antony's army seemed to weaken and desert him as did many of his closest advisors. During this time, Cleopatra started to build her mausoleum, filling it with diamonds and gold, rubies, precious art, and rare luxuries. Of course, to her, the items were normal and made her feel at home. These treasures of Egypt stored up for her in the afterlife would likely disappear with her if anyone attempted to bring her down. As a result of their ongoing love affair, Cleopatra became pregnant with Mark Antony's children. She gave birth to twins, a girl and a boy, whom she named Alexander Helios and Cleopatra Selene. Just like many good love stories, they also had a period of separation, which historians believe deepened their affections and love for each other. During a span of about three years, Cleopatra and Antony were apart. Yet, when they were reunited and solidified their love for each other, it was stronger than ever before. This was the period in time when they had the coins minted. It would have been three years that they were apart, and this absence seemed to have deepened their love and affection for each other. Upon their reunion, they became the power couple once more, as if no time had passed at all. They even had coins minted in their honor, with both their faces engraved upon the currency. And so, by the time Cleopatra was merely 37 years old, she was ruler over the whole eastern part of the Mediterranean. Those lands are what we now know today as parts of Libya, Lebanon, Syria, and regions of southern Turkey. Cleopatra accompanied Mark Antony on many of his military engagements. Many historians believe that it was possible Antony was distracted by his beautiful queen, and that this led to a weakening of his military prowess. Perhaps you can imagine if you have ever taken a trip to foreign lands with a lover, how your environment can change, and you only have eyes for them. The dullest of routines becomes a joy and pleasure. Work feels like play, and even the harshest of weather can become the setting for unforgettable memories. So, It must have been for the two lovers. Yet, in the eyes of the rest of the world, Antony's powers were fading. As Plutarch wrote, so eager was he to spend the winter with her, that he began the war before the proper time and managed everything confusedly He was not master of his own faculties, but, as if he were under the influence of certain drugs or of magic rites, was ever looking eagerly towards her, and thinking more of his speedy return than of conquering the enemy. For a while, it appeared that her seduction was having a weakening effect on Antony, and it could have very well been so. But in 34 BC, he triumphed over the Kingdom of Armenia, enslaving the royal family. The elaborate event that followed was called by everyone, the Donations of Alexandria. Two huge golden thrones were erected, and both Cleopatra and Antony took their places on each. Cleopatra was decked in dazzling robes, a fringed and pleated dress that flowed all the way to the ground, to resemble the goddess Isis. And indeed, that is how Antony addressed her, the new Isis. With a crown on her head, she joined Antony, who was also dressed as a god, complete with a golden embroidered gown. The children of Cleopatra, now four in total, sat at their feet on many thrones. The crowds of Alexandria gathered to witness this spectacle, And there, in front of the multitudes, Antony declared the lands, all of their lands. They, as God and Goddess, would rule with might, pomp, and power. He announced that the lands would be distributed between him and the children he had born with Cleopatra. By parading their regalia and glory, along with their children. They were flaunting their disobedience to the Roman tradition. Octavian, the adopted son of Caesar, was supposed to be heir to the Roman Empire. Now, it seemed as if Antony and Cleopatra would claim the kingdom. Feeling that Antony had gone too far, it was the Roman Senate, that finally declared war against Cleopatra. The naval battle of Actium took place on the 2nd of September, 31 BC. This time, Egypt lost miserably. And after their defeat, Antony and Cleopatra fled to Egypt. This is possibly when Cleopatra had her mausoleum built Who could have known what the young queen was thinking as her lover went off to fight and engage in what would be his last war? It is possible that Mark Antony and Cleopatra planned their suicides together as a last resort, but some historians believe otherwise. There is the speculation that Cleopatra was secretly negotiating with Octavian without Antony's knowledge. Being the strategic ruler that she was, she could very well have foreseen her lover's defeat and wanted to secure the power for her children's future. So, she sent a messenger to relay the news that Cleopatra was dead. If this was her plan, it certainly worked. Plutarch writes that when Antony was told of Cleopatra's apparent death, he said, O Cleopatra, I am not distressed to have lost you, for I shall straightway join you. But I am grieved that a commander as great as I should be found To be inferior to a woman in courage. In an attempt to kill himself, he fell on his sword. Wounded, he was brought to the queen. And, of course, it broke Cleopatra's heart to hear what her lover had done. Antony still had a few breaths of life left in him. And with these final breaths, implored Cleopatra to make her peace with Octavian. Knowing that her fate was also near, Cleopatra had poison brought to her. Some versions of the story claim it was a poisonous snake. Octavian's soldiers were too late on the scene of her suicide. They found her collapsed and dead with her maid-servants by her side, also poisoned. After Cleopatra's death, Egypt became part of the Roman Empire. Her children, Alexander Helios, Cleopatra Selene, and Ptolemy Philadelphus, were then brought to Rome, to be raised by Octavian. And, although he did his very best to blot the light from what was once the shining and glorious couple, he still honored her last request to be buried along with Mark Antony. The stroke of death is as a lover's pinch, which hurts and is desired, wrote William Shakespeare, whose theater version of the story Antony and Cleopatra, brought their romance to entertainment halls for generations. Their story, not unlike the star-crossed lovers Romeo and Juliet, recalls a love so deep that it transcends time and goes beyond into the realms of death. Our separation so abides and flies that thou Residing here, ghost yet with me, and I, hence fleeting, here remain with thee." A snake was sometimes used as a symbol for royalty, and Cleopatra is often pictured and illustrated with a snake emblazoned crown. She was as magnificent in life as she was in death. History could not erase her story, or that of her lover. When Cleopatra died, she was only 39 years old, but had been a lover of Antony for over a decade. She had ruled as Queen of Egypt for twice that long. Together in life, inseparable even in their deaths, The story of Cleopatra and Mark Antony leaves a lot of details to be imagined, or fantasized. Of course, we have some of what the historians wrote about her, and yet, the rest of those holes must be filled with our imaginations. But isn't it like that with many great love stories? The characters, larger than life, lead to many legends being told of their affairs, their love, their lives, and their deaths. Perhaps, as you drift off into dreamland tonight, you can imagine the kind of love that the two young rulers shared. The wonderful satisfaction they found with each other. Two powerful people, who had everything the world could offer, and yet remained so devoted to each other, that their story lived on for centuries. I wish you sweet dreams tonight, as you sleep, thinking of all the great love stories that have been told, and how your own life may play out when the time is right, and when you find the love you are wishing for, and hopefully with a happier ending. Good night, sweet dreams, and I'll be with you tomorrow for another fascinating tale.